Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another episode, and today we are going to discuss finance, and we are doing it with an expert, a leader. I don't know even where to start, you know, it's so many. The accolade and the award is a world leader, is a sustainability leader, and is also leading the climate risk at UNEP. So thank you so much for being here, David Carlin. David, it's a pleasure too for me. Thank you so much. It's, it's really great to be here with you and I'm excited to, uh, to join you on this episode for a good conversation. David, you are a global expert. You have led many initiatives. You are a recognized expert in the field, but as usual with our guest, can you tell about you, what is your sustainability journey? Have you reached those heights? You know, like, like all of your guests, there's always a, a pathway and that pathway is never traditional. I think the only thing that ends up being traditional is the non-traditional nature of it, that everyone has a different route. And for me, that route was two streams in, in my both personal and professional life that ran together and then eventually converged in this work that I've been focused on around climate and the financial system. So for much of my life, I had been very involved in social issues, both in activism and advocacy. I had started a nonprofit getting young people involved in New York City with social issues, environmental issues. And a lot of that work was going on in parallel to my, my job, which was focused on quantitative risk, helping institutions understand how to manage their risk and measure their risks. And ultimately, the real focus for me was when I had an opportunity to explore a new type of risk for financial institutions, which was climate change. And once I started working on that, really all the pieces kind of fit together. Um, I had been asked if I would go on secondment to the United Nations to work with them from a consultancy. And it was really there where I saw the interest that I had both as a writer, in terms of social action, in terms of the relationships I had nurtured with the financial sector, and the analytical interests I had kind of all coalescing into this incredibly interdisciplinary field of climate and sustainability. And from there, I've really been able to indulge both my own thirst for knowledge, but also that ability to be a connector and to connect across organizations, institutions, and to, of course, benefit from the convening power of the United Nations in the program that I lead. So to me, it's been a really fascinating journey and one that began in, in taking two elements, one professional skills and one personal passion, and eventually finding in somewhat of a lucky chance, the opportunity to bring them together and really run with that. I can see this is coming up many, many times with the guests and the people starting small and starting, you know, looking at the social and then getting into the top, bringing also the passion and the work they are doing. I want to pick up something from what you discuss, especially uh, you said about the financial institution, the risk, and how in current debate we can see the role of financial institution that they are facing a transition towards a sustainable and inclusive economy. Can you explain which are the challenges and how you that you are leading uh, the UNEP program, you, you are helping them? So my work is really focused on that intersection point between sustainability and finance and helping those who are part of the finance initiative, the large number of 
private sector institutions reckon with some of these global challenges that we see as our world approaches its planetary boundaries on, on topics such as climate change and biodiversity. I think the biggest challenges are the fact that we are not just looking for single actions, but really systems change. We're talking about the difference between changing the software versus changing the underlying operating model. And I think this is really where the challenge comes is there's a lot of things that the market economy has done very well. There's a lot of things though, when it comes to nature that have really not been priced in. And so can we take some of the skills, some of the tools that we have, but bring them in a more conscious capitalism, bring them in a way that says consumption alone is not success. Growth alone without mindfulness of environmental boundaries is not success. And risks that are not just about the environment, but are really about the overall future and future well-being of societies and economies need to be part of our calculation as we make our decisions. Without that, we're flying blind into an increasingly volatile and uncertain future. Definitely. And thank you so much. And this is also something I recall the discussion we had, I think, a few episodes ago with Yale professor presenting his book, the announced the founder of Green Chemistry, you know, discussing about the model and how to infuse, you know, this conscious capitalism and the work, especially in what was not priced in in our system, although the good achievement that our capitalist system has given us. And when you are really trying to change and this process of changing, I want to ask a bit more since you had the climate risk and we had the two initiatives, you know, the task force on climate related financial disclosure, the task force on nature uh, related financial disclosure, how they can really contribute to, to accelerate sustainable development. And again, can you also explain these maybe difficult technical terms to our listeners? That is really key point here, which is there's so many acronyms. Of course, working with the United Nations Environment Programs Finance Initiative, UNEPFI, people also hear more about the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, and now things on nature, such as the TNFD, Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures. It's important not to get lost in that alphabet soup and to recognize really what is attempting to be done here. And so the work that I began back in 2017 and 2018 around thinking about how to quantify climate risk was spurred by the development of this voluntary industry task force on climate-related financial disclosures. The idea of that group, also known as the TCFD, was to bring together a set of principles and a set of information to help stakeholders, both within an institution as well as outside, such as investors, the public, and regulators, really understand what kind of climate risks that firm was exposed to and what they were doing about them, as well as what opportunities they would take. So the idea here was to create a structured framework. And part of being an effective manager of climate risks is to understand what those risks are, to measure their scale and magnitude, to prioritize effectively and then to manage them in a way that will both lead you to maximize opportunities and mitigate the risks that you face, and to communicate that information in a way that others are able to understand what your steps are and how you're taking those to make progress. So ideas of comparability, standardization, and quantification all become important when we think about disclosure and realizing disclosure is so much more than just a report. It's really a reflection of the activities that you are undertaking 
in the face of a changing climate and in the face of a transitioning world. It's such a, a crucial point that you have made. And I want to dig a bit deeper. I know people are getting now to understand more. And, and I want to dig a bit deeper, as I said, in the in your role in the, in the pilot program, the, the, the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure, which puts together nature biodiversity-related risk. So how these are taken in account and then how this initiative can help the financial institution to, to address this, the global challenges that we are, they are faced. So I think the, the idea behind a lot of this disclosure work and the idea behind the focus of the financial sector is to really use markets in a more constructive way. We've seen markets that have enabled us to burn more fossil fuels. We've seen markets that have enabled us to create more waste, to grow our economies at the expense of nature. But we also know that markets do a lot of things well. In one case, they really provide information and help people make decisions. And so the idea is through a better flow of that information, we will be able to make better decisions. However, we can't think about the financial sector or reporting in a vacuum. We need to think about the incentives that governments propose, the commitments that are demanded by consumers, and the practices of the real economy that will make the new technologies the adaptation and resilience to the changes in climate really most effective and, and most powerful. And that, that to me is really what I see as, as such a critical part of where finance sits. I think it sits in a high leverage point, but not an isolated point. And so reporting, disclosure, all of these are ways of communicating that financial information in a way that it can be adopted both by financial actors and other stakeholders who are all have vested interest in avoiding the worst impacts of climate change and managing a smooth and sustainable and just transition. And thank you so much. And this just transition and this work on the, for the finance sector is not a new one. We know that the UNEP financial initiative have been there for the past 30 years. And of course, now it has accelerated and there is really need a sense of urgency also for the financial institution to take in account this, the, the risk from the climate change. And, and I want to ask, can you share some stories or impact stories and what are the hopes and the, for the future contribution that uh, the program that you are leading can give? So our, our program has worked with over 100 financial institutions, banks, insurers, and investors, and over a dozen partners from academic institutions like Cambridge University to tool providers, data providers, climate modeling experts. And one of the biggest things I think that we've really tried to do is develop standards and develop frameworks. Those standards are not regulatory in nature, but are really guidance on good practices and helping people to both see new methodologies and approaches for measuring and managing transition and physical risks, but also for beginning to ask the questions of what tools and resources are out there and what challenges will one face as they try to understand better the risks within a given sector, the risks within their own portfolio. And a lot of our work really centers around active learning, getting institutions to share with each other, getting institutions to hear from experts and access that expertise, and empowering the individuals within institutions. I think very often we talk about who do we work with, and we don't just work with institutions, we're really working with the individuals within those institutions. And so figuring out from them what inspires change and what motivates them 
to be more effective within their organization in terms of the commitments they're willing to make, in terms of the steps that they need to take to educate their peers. And so I really see our work as being connected to those individuals at its, at its heart. And much of the publications, the over a dozen publications we've put out over the last three years, have really focused on those ideas of helping institutions, but really giving individuals the tools, the knowledge, the frameworks that they need to move faster within their organization. It's really important, and thank you for putting also the role of individuals and the work that you are really doing. And I want now to take a step back and see also your work as an advisor. So you have also, you are founder of the Cambium Global Solution, that is a global consultancy working to accelerate sustainability, the climate. So you have advised many government, corporate, financial institution, you work with the, the best of the best in the world. So can you share for the people that are listening some two practical tools and guidance that you can, you provide to the farms you are working with that they want to thrive in this changing world? Yeah, so a lot of my work as a advisor centers around helping governments, nonprofits, organizations, and institutions with these climate and sustainability challenges. First, at a strategic level to say, let's not think of this as a sustainability commitment, or let's not think of this as a sustainability strategy, but as a core strategy for you. And then how does sustainability impact it? And what are the questions that we need to be considering in order to know that we're taking into account the whole operations and structure of the organization. So starting with that big picture, but then really looking at comparative practice. So what do different standards look like, whether you're in the EU, whether you're in North America, whether you're in a different country or jurisdiction, how do those things compare? What is guidance from groups like the Network for Greening the Financial System, a group of over 100 central banks? What are they saying? about climate scenarios, about risk management. And then from there, we think about implementation. What are the unique and local challenges that this government will face, that this organization is going to encounter? And how can we turn those challenges into opportunities, whether it's in terms of better modeling, better data collection, but also where are the places where one's strengths might be parallel to the changes that we're going to see. You can really see the path and the work and, and the changes that uh, they have to be done. And, you know, we have all these changes related to one big objective that is also the objective from the agency that also that you are working, the SDGs. So, you know, uh, in your opinion, what is the role of financial institution and corporate in achieving these United Nations Sustainable Development Goals? And we are just, how many years? Seven years until the the clock is ticking and to see, you know, the, the, the realization of the objectives and now how they can align their business model with these important goals. So you talk about 2030 and the 17 SDGs we have. 2030 is remarkably close now. And so decisions that are going to affect our outcomes in 2030 are already being made today in the fields of mining for raw materials, in the fields of investing in power generation and in new prototypes, in the testing and development of commercial technologies. These are things that have lead times of the three to five to seven year variety. So the decisions we're being made now are indeed 2030 decisions. And I think in a lot of ways, we are a long way off from our goals. We saw for SDG 6, which concerns water, yesterday was World Water Day and the UN Water Development Conference is 
really trying to bring attention to such a critical issue here. And what we start to realize is that each of these SDGs connects to other ones. We don't see a population or a society flourishing in isolation of its biodiversity, of its natural water and land resources, of its availability of food and access to, uh, to education. These are each parts that make a successful society, that make a prosperous and vibrant and in the face of climate change, resilience community. And so there's a tremendous mountain to climb, but the happy news that I would say for people is that they should really appreciate that this is not simply a, we have to tackle these one by one, but that work on one of them will have synergies and will have additional benefits across other sustainable development goals. And I think it's realizing that they fit together that gives us the chance to make progress and take decisions that are going to be beneficial on a number of fronts, those optimal win-win-win situations. So I know we will stay here for, for hours listening to you, but of course, we are going towards the end of the episode. And I really want to, to link the last discussion, the steps that we can take how to, to get this win-win-win. I really liked how you frame it, scenario. And what really would you want to say to our global audience, your final call to action to business people, to corporation, financial institution, but also individual, because you said, you rightly said that some of your work is targeting also individuals, that they look to contribute to a more sustainable world, a more sustainable increase of economy. Which step we can do and they can do to accelerate progress towards a more sustainable future? I think the biggest first step for institutions and individuals is to become a systems thinker, to recognize the interrelationships. I call this the ecosystems approach to community and to societies and to work, which is to say, you can't consider any one element of an ecosystem in isolation of others. We can consider predators and prey, but what we don't really appreciate is the idea of a web, the interconnections between multiple different groups acting in different ways. And so understanding both where your organization, where your activities, where you as an individual fit within that ecosystem. You may play multiple roles, but I think it's having a sound appreciation for those unique dynamics and figuring out what other parts of that system do you affect. In some situations, you are an employee. In others, you are a consumer. In certain cases, you may be a decider of policies or practices. And I would also say then, importantly to recognize that despite the fact that many challenges exist and being a systems thinker means we see the drawbacks in what might look like initially a good solution we also need to really not be lazy with ourselves and be honest with ourselves to say just because two options come with trade-offs doesn't mean those trade-offs are equal when we think about internal combustion engines versus electric vehicles as an example both of them have consequences, and it's foolish to ignore the downsides of electric vehicles, but it's also foolish to assume that because there are some downsides, those downsides are equivalent. And so I think it's first starting with the idea of systems thinking, then it's recognizing, let's try to make the best choices we can with the information we have. And that can be maximizing our positive impact on nature. It can be minimizing our carbon footprint. But as we think about it, the goal is that we aren't perfectly rational beings. We can't be calculating these things all the time. So I would also advise people, again, to that first point, to think systematically, to come back to 
what are the big areas that I plan to change and how will I do that? We're not calculators, we're not robots, we can't make every single decision, but what we can do is come up with valuable rules and also educate ourselves and keep educating ourselves because the science here is changing in terms of what might be a effective store of carbon previously is now understood not to be, what might be a viable solution to improving biodiversity may be less effective than has been previously stated. So keep learning and the more it's linked to the work that you're doing, the more it's linked to the life that you're living, the more you should cultivate what I would call a scientific mind. The idea of taking in new information and updating your views and your practices accordingly. And I think that will leave people not only with a framework and a strategy to think about the big picture, to assimilate new information, but also to feel that what they're doing is going to be having a positive overall effect on the change that they're hoping to see. Thank you so much, David, for this insightful advice and work and really a roadmap and a call for action that I'm sure people put in action and we are trying also to learn, educate and work and give example and give voice to change makers like you and this is how this podcast, this very humble podcast is born and I was very humbled to have you, to host you and to, to, to sharing your insights to, to our audience. So thank you so much David for your presence. Thank you so much, it's really been a pleasure to be with you and I, I look forward to hearing future episodes from you as well. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.